It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. And it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And we are learning about these quarterbacks more and more by the day as we get ready for the 2021 NFL Draft. The Jets sit at number two. They may not pick a quarterback. It's possible they make a trade or stick with Sam Darnold, but a good chance that they're going to pick one, if not high, then perhaps even later in the draft. You never know because, as they say, if you don't have a quarterback or you're not 100% sure about the one you've got, you keep picking a quarterback every year until you hit on one. And so we'll talk about the top quarterbacks in the 2021 draft and some of the ones that are a little bit under the radar with somebody that does a lot of work with quarterbacks. She covers LSU, the Tennessee Titans, and as she likes to say in her spare time, does a lot with quarterbacks, written a ton of great profiles on them. Last one that she did was on Mac Jones, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. A great piece, if you haven't read it yet, for the Draft Network. Chrissy Freud. Chrissy, what's going on? Um, I want to say not a lot, but actually quite a bit's going on. I've been really busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you were able to take the time. So thank you for that. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to talking about yeah. quarterbacks with you. And the first person I wanted to talk about is somebody that is ranked number five on your list because you have your list of top 15 quarterbacks in this class and it's mm-hmm. up right now. You can find it on Chrissy's Twitter account, but you can also find it on LSU wire right now. And number five on your list is Mac Jones, who you just profiled for the Draft Network, a phenomenal piece. One thing that I took away from this, Chrissy, is something that Tim Jenkins said to me when he was on the show. He doesn't necessarily compare Mac Jones to Brady in the sense that he thinks he's going to be as good as Brady, but a lot of the traits that make Brady good are the traits that are the most positive in Mac Jones. Is that what you found when you profiled him and really dug in on him? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think that a lot of uh, Mac's success comes from the mental side more than just the natural ability side. That's kind of something that uh, we dove into with the source that I was speaking with at Alabama. And then just, you know, some of the research that I did, some of the film I watched is that, you know, Tua Tagovailoa and Mac Jones, they're definitely not the same quarterback. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure that they could be much more different than they are, but they're equally as talented. And people are kind of split on who's better. I think that we'll get a better idea whenever both of them are performing at the NFL level over the course of a couple of years or so. But the thing about Tua is that he's very naturally talented. A lot of the things he does well come from just rare physical ability, um, just a rare uh, ability to evade pressure, things like that. And then whereas for Mac, it's more of he's just as accurate. He can do just as much uh, just kind of spare the mobility side in general, obviously. But a lot of it is from dedication and learning um, and just being a really fast mental processor. And so I, I think that um, the other thing, too, that is 
kind of just aside from like the scouting side of it in general is one thing I appreciate about this guy is just his sense of humility and his dedication to getting better because I can't say that there's there are not too many quarterbacks I've seen uh, or talked to that are performed at a very high level and certainly ones that have uh, won the national championship that will say yeah well I want to fix this in particular and this is what it is and I'm working on it and whenever I talked to Mac um I'd say about a month ago, he told me, he was like, yeah, I mean, there's still some mechanical things I want to work on. There's some mechanical flaws there uh, that I'm trying to fix. And that's part of the reason why I came here. And I feel like when I've, and now that I've come here too, another thing that I've done is that I've been able to show people that I can play with any group of guys. And that's, that's the other thing too, is that when we look at a team like Alabama, it's like a dynasty. And it's, it's crazy because when you look at the depth chart, like they have all these, like the greatest supporting cast and all of college football and then it's not even a surprise if the guy behind him is just as good as him or maybe even better than he is. And so I feel like there's a lot of quarterbacks there that no matter how good they may be, there's always this looming question of, is he actually that good or is it just his supporting cast? And I think that he kind of made a little bit of a statement at the senior bowl whenever he was playing with all these guys from different places and he was still far and away uh, the best quarterback prospect there. The supporting cast question works in reverse with Zach Wilson though, because the greatness of the supporting cast at Alabama is the reverse at BYU because he's playing with mostly guys that are older. Some of them are coming off of missions or about to be headed towards missions. So he's not playing with guys that are as good, but he's also not playing against top competition because Mac Jones was playing against the best in the SEC, ended up winning the national championship. And this has been a knock on BYU and specifically Zach Wilson. But you have Zach Wilson at number one, and I found this interesting because Tim Jenkins, who was on the show, also had Zach Wilson ahead of Trevor Lawrence. You told me before we started recording that you took all the abuse because, to the best of your knowledge, you were the first one to have Zach Wilson at number mm-hmm. one, and now a couple of other people have come forward and said that they also have him above Trevor Lawrence. I thought from your profile, this stood out to me too, is that you talked about his footwork in the pocket. Luke Grant, who does a lot of really good work for playlikeajet.com, has said that in the pocket he compares favorably to Baker Mayfield. You also compared him a little bit to Mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes, which some Jets fans have taken to calling Zach Wilson Mormon Mahomes, which is a funny nickname, and obviously if he gets drafted by the Jets, (laughs) I expect to see that on some T-shirts. Tell me about where you sit with him and why you have him at number one. Yeah, um, as I mentioned earlier about mental processing with uh, Mac Jones, just kind of the backstory on this is whenever I first got into evaluating quarterbacks, I think a lot of people, whenever they're just totally green and totally new to this kind of thing, you, I think it's human nature to look at what leaps off the screen to you. And the things that are going to leap off the screen to you is the guy who's six foot six and 240 pounds or the guy who has a cannon of an arm because it's just things that are easy to pick up on that stand out to us. But as I went on through this and as I got to know and appreciate guys like, you know, Joe Burrow, those kind of people, um, they're not going to wow you in certain aspects that other quarterbacks might be able to, but it's what's in between the ears that makes them stand out. And then there is, I mean, there is the arguments like, well, I mean, a supporting cast is not as good, but also the um, just the competition is not as high. It's, that's something that I think is a factor and there is something to be said about that in a way. But at the same time, I think as you go on, you learn to evaluate the position just strictly individually. Cause I think there's a lot of people that will evaluate a quarterback, but then they're also kind of, they're 
including things about like completion percentage and stuff like that, which is sometimes, sometimes the number is reflective of uh, whatever they're doing, but other times they'll go back and watch the film. And then suddenly this guy's actually a lot more accurate, but uh, his receivers are not that good. Or maybe he's thrown five interceptions, but four of those are because he threw it right to the receiver and their hands weren't good and it slipped off and somebody went and got it or just the, the route was running correctly, something. Um, so I, I think that his supporting cast was not, phenomenal at BYU but the thing the things that we can see him do um, in terms of accuracy and ball placement is it's not like he's uh, throwing to a receiver that has seven steps on his defender a lot of times I mean we'll see him make these throws that look almost impossible like these 50-50 balls too and it's just like somebody going down the sideline and there's a super super tight window and you see it and you're like there's no way that's going to happen and then suddenly he gets it because the ball is right there and that that's a really really, really hard thing to do. And I think that it's something that he does well. And it's just, it's really hard to find much of anything to knock him for. And then when we look at Trevor Lawrence, I think that they're close, like it's literally by a hair. And they're, it's funny because whenever I release this, I feel like a lot of people took it as that I was saying that Zach Wilson was bound better than uh, Trevor Lawrence just because I put him at number one instead of number two. And that absolutely wasn't the case. So only one of the things that I kind of look at in the argument between those two is kind of a separate thing, I guess, is a lot of people like to call Trevor Lawrence a generational player. And I think that there's a lot that he um, brings to the table. The only real thing that I see that I think kind of sticks out just from time to time is sometimes he'll kind of lock on one receiver, just lock on onto one read. But a lot of people also like to call him a generational player. And then whenever I watched the national championship game and if we also consider Joe Burrow to be a generational player, well, in that case, why is Joe Burrow just totally outplaying uh, Trevor Lawrence? And that's not the only instance in what, in which that's happened. So um, I went back and forth between these two quite a bit, but the more that I looked at it and the more that I thought about it, I just thought that Wilson uh, stood out just a little bit more. And like I said, in the article, they're both very talented, but maybe Zach Wilson just checks half a box more for you than Trevor does. And in considering Trevor Lawrence as a generational prospect, there's a ton to like there. As you said, the one thing that people have pointed out is occasionally he's a little bit slow on the processing side. Tim Jenkins talked about him mm-hmm. missing some reads from time to time. But still, there's so much there, right? Yeah. I mean, um, I saw somebody say this. And I couldn't have agreed more with it. it it's physically it looks like he was like created in a quarterback lab or something Mm -hmm. like as far as uh like physical traits and what he brings to the table on that aspect you couldn't ask for more and then the other thing that I noticed um it was at least my first time like really really noticing it and seeing it on display in person was at the national championship that he has this sense of mobility that before that point that I can't say that I necessarily saw in as big of a way as I did uh during that game so he's someone who can move and someone who's also a really good pocket passer. So um, as I've stated before, I think that both of these quarterbacks, I mean, they're day one starters and they're going to make um, a very good impression and instantly boost whatever team that they end up on. And I just, I just see that Wilson will have the better career in the long term. But I also, I mean, if you came back to me in eight years and said one of them had greatly outperformed the other, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because that's just kind of how these things go. How big of a drop is it for you from those two guys to the guy that's number three on your list, Justin Fields? There's been a lot of debate 
as to whether or not the Jets should draft Fields or Wilson if they pick a quarterback at number two, because everybody just assumes, rightfully so, I think, that Trevor Lawrence is going to go number one to the Jacksonville Jaguars. It seems like you're a little bit lower on Fields than some people are. Not to say that you don't think he's going to be good, but you don't seem to have him on that same tier as the other two guys. Yeah, I mean, I don't really see a significant drop-off. I just see more – there are just certain things in his game that become more clear to me, like, oh, like, well, he does need to fix that. And it's just a little bit more uh, noticeable to me. I actually talked to a quarterback coach the other day, though, that thought that he was better than uh, Wilson and Lawrence. So I think that's – it's just kind of a mixed bag when it comes to that. I think that he brings a lot of explosiveness as a runner. I think that he's a really good uh, just passer in general. But there's – and this happens with a lot of guys. I mean, there's some there's some wacky things that he does sometimes, decision-making when he's under pressure. Um, and I think that there are times that maybe he puts himself in a little bit tougher of a situation, maybe waits like just half a second too long. Um, and if he had been quicker and just a little bit more decisive, that things could have worked out just a little bit better for him. But, I mean, it's I, I know that the way I kind of word it in the article makes it seem like it's more of a standout thing, but I think that it's, it's kind of a small thing. And the reason why I say that, too, is because, because of the athlete that he is and his ability to just make his own plays because of that athleticism, he can weasel his way out of that issue a lot better than a lot of people can. So is it something that needs to be worked on and tweaked just a little bit? Yeah. But at the same time, if you have a guy that can run like that and do those things, he can bail himself out some more times than not. It's not going to be that big of an issue. And Trey Lance can bail himself out too. You want to talk about somebody mm-hmm. with incredible athletic upside. He probably has the most athletic upside in the entire draft. Body type, his incredible athleticism, just a phenomenal specimen in every single way. The one thing that stands out, though, is that he wasn't really forced to face anything too complicated, and he only was a starter for one year other than that one showcase game. So there's some things that you have to project with him. As you also get into in your review of him, he wasn't overly aggressive, partly because he didn't have to be. How much projection is there with him? Do you think that teams are going to have to just take that leap of faith if they pick him really high? Well, I mean, I think when you're given those circumstances, it does kind of become a leap of faith, and that's out of everybody's control. I mean, nobody really has uh, control over what happened and how that all uh, played out. But, I mean, this is this is a guy that's very polarizing. I mean, when I look at the rankings and I talk to people, there are people that think he's the best quarterback in the draft. That's a little bit more unpopular one. Uh, there are people that put him kind of in number five-ish, somewhere around there. I think I have him at number four. Um, and then there are some people that don't even have him in the top ten. It's just it's, it's almost like you never get the same reaction on Trey Lance. But I think looking at him individual, individually, um, I did talk to one of his high school coaches not too long ago. And we talk about that running ability and his physicality. And he, he told me he was like, this is a quarterback with a linebacker mentality, which is so interesting to me, but it's also so true. And I mean, I think that he can, he has the ability to evade pressure and he also can go in an offense and do well with design quarterback runs. So I think that's something that's kind of uh, his forte. And I think with him, he's one that I think you really have to look at the tape a lot because if you look at uh, the stat line, like obviously we talked about the the circumstances just surrounding his career and the way that that played out. And one thing that, I specifically noted, noticed uh, was that completion percentage. I think it's somewhere around 67%. And to me, that looks a little bit low um, just based on the tape alone. And I think he's actually a little bit more accurate than that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's going to be one of the biggest storylines to watch in the coming years is just seeing just how Trey Lance ultimately shakes out. Play like a jet. Play like a jet.
One guy that I noticed was very low on your list is Kyle Trask, the quarterback from Florida. A lot of people very divided on him. You have him at number 11 out of 15. And this is somebody that throughout the season had some first-round buzz. And then as we got past the season, people started to drop him down, partly because of that bowl game performance. So I wonder if the fact that he's not really mobile at all hurts him quite a bit in this process. I had thought that somebody would take a shot at him at the end of the first round, but now I'm starting to think it's going to be the second or maybe even the third round. Tell me why you have him so low. Yeah, well, I actually was one of the biggest um, proponents of Kyle Trask, I think, during the season. Um, and I, I, I really did try to keep looking for stuff and just tried to stay on him as best as I could. But, I mean, those last three games, I mean, he had I, I was there at the one against LSU, and one thing about that was there was so much fog. And so I, toward the end of the game, I was almost not knocking anyone for anything because I was like, well, hell, if I'm up here and I can barely see them down there, I can only imagine them trying to uh, run an offense or run a defense down there and even know what's going on. Um, and I, I genuinely believe that. I think whenever they were throwing to receivers and stuff, there was a chance that maybe they couldn't see the ball that well or that the quarterback couldn't see what was going on um, that well. So that one I kind of just chalked up to, uh, what, well, what is what it is. But it seemed like over those three games, he was just taking this colossal nosedive. And I know that he had a look like a little bit of an injury issue there in that last game, but it looked like he was just – faltering and it got to a point where I was like well I don't know how many excuses that I can make for him and then the more that I started um, looking into him and reviewing some stuff and things like that um, I noticed that it looks like he has some lower body mechanic issues that are so bad to the point that they're really starting to affect him as a passer but specifically on the deep ball and on top of that I mean when it comes to quarterbacks that are pocket passers or almost purely pocket passers this is something I've come out and said publicly before um i mean the supporting cast is there for a reason they're supposed to do their job and i know that when we look at the modern era of the nfl like we like we like somebody who can kind of move around it's impressive to watch but i mean whenever you look at a quarterback and what the quarterback's job is that's not what they're supposed to do i mean if Mm -hmm. they can do that great but at the same time like you don't need the quarterback carrying the whole team you need the wide receivers either running the running backs also doing their job um but you know with kyle it's like he can he can run for a couple yards to kind of get himself like help Florida get out of some uh, short yardage situations stuff like that. But he just it's it's a little bit wonky to watch. And I yeah I think that that's something that's going to affect him not just in terms of oh like he's not Lamar Jackson which he's certainly nothing remotely like Lamar Jackson but he's also it, it's like can he even really effectively evade pressure on a consistent basis and not put you in a bad situation because whenever uh, I saw something about this the other day. It's like, is is the team doing this in spite of the quarterback or because of the quarterback? And I think that whenever I look at Kyle Trask, I'm starting to see a little a little bit of the elements of um, in spite of. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if his career goes either way. I just, like I said, I was high on him for a while, and then I just became more and more skeptical toward the end of the season, um, and still tried to find things to kind of boost him up, and then. After the season, I started looking at him more and comparing him to everybody else. It just uh, suddenly came to me that he kind of belonged really around number 11, which I haven't come across anybody else who has him, I think, that low. But that's kind of where he fell when I compared him to the other guys. Chrissy, let's do a lightning round with the rest of the guys on this list. And we're going to start at number six with Senior Bowl MVP Kellen Mond. 
Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that I I knocked Kellen Mond for, gosh, like I want to say somewhere around three years or so, two or three years. And this season he kind of just, to me, made me eat my words because I, I saw a guy that was a super inconsistent passer. I didn't think that he would ever really level up. I thought he had a lot of good athleticism, but I didn't ha- really have true appreciation for his athleticism. And I think a lot of that had to do with um, – just how poorly he he came across to me as a passer. But then this year he really uh, improved a lot, especially in terms of touchdown to interception ratio, improved a lot in terms of accuracy. And then when I was able to really kind of watch him as close to the field level as possible, that athleticism, that ability to evade pressure and that mobility and just his ability to become a playmaker, in addition to his improvements as a passer, really just made him shoot up the board for me. And he's, he's a guy that I think has really proved me and it's proved a lot of other people wrong. Next up, number seven, a guy with a really weird story. You could say Georgia, you could say <laughs> Wake Forest if you want. Jamie Newman. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he wore the Wake Forest helmet at uh, the Senior Bowl. A few of us were talking about that for a little while. It is kind of a, a weird deal. Um, I think he's going to take some development. I think overall as an athlete, he's one of the most impressive, especially at least at the Senior Bowl that I saw. Uh, just just to watch him move around, but purely as a passer, there's there are some things that kind of trouble me in terms of accuracy, consistency, decision making, uh, things of that realm. And it, especially, I saw that whenever I was watching him on the last day of the Senior Bowl, I think he had a couple interceptions in there, and it just really wasn't the best day for him. Somebody who could potentially develop into a good dual threat quarterback at number eight. You've got Ian Book, the quarterback from Notre Dame. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Ian was in the early, early Heisman conversation. I don't think that anyone ever really took that seriously and it pretty much totally faded away by the end of the season. But, I mean, whenever you look at a quarterback uh, who we describe as nimble and athletic, as several people around Ian Book have described him to me, um, there, there are differences there. I mean, you have guys that can go and get you like four or five yards, and it's kind of like, hey, like I scrambled out of the pocket and I got this. And then there's guys that can scramble out of the pocket and then they can go and get you 20 or 30 yards. And we saw some plays like that in the senior bowl. And I think that he really elevated his draft stock there. And on, uh, particularly on that last day, he was extremely accurate, had one of the best showings of the quarterbacks there, in my opinion. And just the more that I watched him and the more that I've seen of him, the more that I think that um, he could be a guy that could develop into a really good backup and maybe uh, later on could end up surprising us. But I, I think that's kind of definitely one of the more underrated guys in this draft. And number nine, somebody who seems to have all the physical capabilities, but his tape is a little shaky, Davis Mills of Stanford. Yeah, I mean, whenever I look at him, he's not really a guy that's going to, you're going to watch his team go, oh, wow, look at this one. Because, I mean, he's, he's not, but he has the foundation there. I think that he's going to spend a lot of time uh, just as a backup in the NFL in general. But, I mean, he brings the frame, arm talent, arm strength. He, he does the things that you need him to do um, as, a, as a passer. But the thing about him was a lot of people were kind of questioning uh, the mobility aspect a little bit. And I know that he went through a workout where he did a lot of like these very specific things to prove that he was able uh, to evade pressure and elude a rusher, just that kind of thing. And so I think that he's really taking the steps to, to prove that he can do something that we didn't necessarily see before. So I'm interested to see how that shakes out. Chrissy at number 10, a guy who, as a Texas Longhorns fan, made me pull a lot of my hair out quite a bit, Sam Ellinger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it comes to Sam, there's a lot of things to like about him. There's a lot of things to dislike about him. And there's a lot of uh, questions surrounding the potential. And we, I think that we really just don't 
necessarily know what it is. I know that the delivery was something that he was working on. They had tried to like rework it. I think maybe elongate it, something along those lines. And I think that that's getting better. So we, we see that there are specific things that he's improving that he is uh, managing to improve upon. But I mean, there are some things like getting the ball out quickly enough, uh, just whenever he chooses to run when maybe he should have really stood in there, stood in there and just passed the ball. And then the accuracy is up and down and then the arm strength doesn't do him a lot. Uh, just do a lot for him in general either. So, I mean, I think that he's going to be a project player, but I also think that there's really not enough said about him as a leader. I've heard so many stories about how the guys rally around him and what he brings to a team just as a person. And as weird as it may sound, I mean, because we sit here and we look at all the analytics and stuff like that, I've seen certain situations just across all levels of football where if the quarterback is not respected or if he doesn't get along well with his teammates or if he's not someone that they can rally around, it really it extends to a lot of things, morale, chemistry, all of that. And I think that people don't necessarily understand how much of a role that actually plays. And I think that uh, Sam Ellinger is definitely a pro for him. At number 12, a guy who I would compare to Brad Kea, who I was talking to you about before we started recording. Brad Kea was somebody who went in to his final season as a potential first-round pick at Miami, ended up going in the seventh round, and now you have a similar dynamic with K.J. Costello of Mississippi State. Yeah, I mean, before the season, I had him at number one in my quarterback rankings, and of course, as somebody who analyzes quarterbacks and releases those rankings on pretty much a weekly basis during the season, I was ecstatic whenever he passed for 623 yards. And I want to say it was somewhere around five touchdowns against LSU. And then suddenly we see him, uh, you know, take this, this drop off. And I think a lot of that had to do with um, the supporting cast. I think that you have a complete overhaul of the system. You go from this power running game, at Mississippi state to the air raid offense. I mean, there couldn't be, couldn't be much more of a turn there. And so with COVID and everything, the guys have a very short window of time ahead of the season to get prepared for this. And then they're also like the youngest or second youngest team in the SEC. And so you have this, this veteran presence and he showed, he showed that he was a veteran presence in that first game. But then you have all these guys around him who are trying to find themselves in a whole team that's trying to find itself with this new offense and the, the air raid, obviously it's something that I study and something that I appreciate, but it's very controversial as to whether or not it will work in the sec and th- this time implementing it at, at this time, whenever um, there's COVID and everything, it makes it a million times harder. And so all these young guys are trying to pick it up and they're on top of trying to pick up the offense. I mean, they're trying to come into their own as football players just in general at the, at the next level. And so I think that, Maybe LSU secondary was a little bit weak that first game, and then the other teams kind of had more of a response to it. And then somewhere along the line, KJ's out for four weeks because of a concussion and COVID. And so so he's gone at that point, and then Will Rogers comes in, and the question comes down to is Will Rogers reaping the benefits of this team finally getting its feet under it? And I saw the same thing at LSU is, like toward the end of the season, LSU finally started to find itself. And so it's a question of was Will Rogers actually that much better than KJ Costello or did he just come in at a much better time? Because, I mean, whenever I look at KJ just in general as an individual quarterback prospect, I see strong mechanics. I see someone who maintains his platform. I see someone who rarely ever gets off balance. And I see someone who's successful at throwing the ball 
at pretty much any level of the field. I mean, he has strong upper body rotation, uh, good footwork, good range of motion, poise in the pocket, a powerful pocket presence. There's, I think that there's a lot more there than people see. Um, the only thing that kind of gets me a little bit about him is that whenever you get pressure in a space, there's some times whenever that decision-making becomes a little bit off. He looks a little bit just panicked in general. But outside of that, I mean, I don't – looking at him individually and evaluating him individually as a quarterback, I don't see the reasoning for the drop-off from toward the top of the first round and now suddenly he's an undrafted free agent. Because when I, when I talked about the games he missed and all that, what's our sample size? I mean, the LSU game was really good, and then there's the four weeks that he missed. So we're looking at what maybe like – four-ish games and people want to go and say that he should be undrafted because of um, four somewhat poor games in the middle of a season that's surrounded by all these circumstances and with a new offense and um, a supporting cast that could have been much better. And then also, you know, you had Kylan Hill opting out. So I just, I don't see the reasoning for it. At number 13, another quarterback who as a Texas Longhorns fan forced me to pull some hair out Shane Bouchelle, I like what you wrote about him to start off your profile of him. <laughs> you wrote, in the right scheme, he has the makings of a reliable backup quarterback. That is the exact type of player that you draft in like the sixth, seventh round or sign as an undrafted free agent, right? Yeah, that's where I put him. I think that's plenty fair. Um, I, like I said about Sam, I mean, it's not, I don't know quite as much about like what went on behind the scenes with him as far as leadership goes, but I do think that. Um, he brought a lot to SMU in general in that aspect. Um, I think that overall he's pretty steady, pretty accurate as a passer, um, decent completion percentage, um, touchdown and interception ratio was pretty good, but kind of like Ian book, which I don't think that it really affects Ian book, but he is a little bit um, undersized. There's some things about his throwing mechanics that I don't like. And then the arm strength isn't really there either. So we just, there's a lot about him that just screams average, but good enough to me. And then your last two guys you have on your list here, number 14 is Peyton Ramsey of Northwestern, who of course played for Pat Fitzgerald, so you know he was well coached, and Felipe Franks over at Arkansas. Yeah, I thought that just Peyton Ramsey's ability to bring Northwestern to new heights was something that was really exciting to watch, and um, he's someone I've spoken to a a few times, and uh, he seems to be really happy that he was able to do that for that team because that team struggled on offense there for a while. I think they had actually one of the worst offenses um, in the nation just across the board the year before. So for all those guys that are really trying hard that want to do well, he was able to bring uh, that to them. And that was what mattered more to him was was doing it for them as opposed to doing it for himself. So I, I like that about him as a teammate. And I think that he did a really good job in the Citrus Bowl and he had the offensive MVP in there um, as well. But just, I mean, him in general, he's still a very raw prospect and to be a developmental guy as any guy that's at number 14 in anybody's rankings is going to be. But I I like him, though. I mean, I think that he's somebody that could probably be a decent backup in the future. And then as far as Franks goes, the first thing that I always think of whenever I think of him is because I interviewed him after the Senior Bowl, and I asked, it's rare that I'll kind of throw this one in there, but every now and then I will just see what happens, and usually you get a really just boring answer. But I said, I was like, so what do you think that people may not know about you as a person or a player? And he said, well, I like to draw. I like to draw dogs. And I thought that was so <laughs> funny. And every time that I see him, it's the first thing that I think of. And it's funny because it's almost like saddening to me because it's like, oh, this is so pure. Like this is 
this is so interesting. Like he likes to draw dogs in his spare time. It's almost like a, I feel like I might personally insult him. I'm putting him at number 15. It makes me upset, but um, yeah, I think, I think that he really elevated his own career at Arkansas. And then he allowed that team to do well in certain times against SEC competition, which if you watch the SEC and if you watch Arkansas, you know, that's something that they never do. So it was, it was a really big uh, surprise. I think that, He's improved on uh, certain things, you know, working through his progressions. I think his accuracy has gotten better. And I think that his athleticism and his arm strength in general are uh, big positives for him. And me and my friends were kind of joking about it at the Senior Bowl because he's, we call him like a beastly creature because he's six foot six and 234 pounds. Like he's absolutely <laughs> massive. And the guys that were there were not necessarily that big. So it just made him look uh, even bigger. So he, if anything, he definitely checks the box on the NFL. Uh, frame, but I mean, there there are definitely still some accuracy issues there. Even though he has improved, um, I think he struggles with the anticipatory throws. I think that that's something that Sam Ellinger kind of struggles with. And I think that there's times when just he falls apart mentally, and most of the time that's going to be under pressure. But I mean, it's it's kind of like the case that I make with Kellen Mond. Although I think that Kellen Mond's going to get a bigger opportunity than Frank ever does. Um, it's you have this one season where you show that you can elevate yourself and you show that you can elevate a program, but is it is it a fluke and are you going to continue off of continue off of that or is it up and down and we're just on the up right now and then the down's coming later and then that's even harder because you're going on to the next level and the NFL is a a very hard transition for even the best of players. Chrissy, last question, and this has nothing to do with quarterbacks, but since you cover LSU <laughs> and there's a chance that the Jets could trade down, one of the players that they could have their eye on is Jamar Chase. I know he didn't play this year, but tell me a little bit about what Jets fans could expect if they draft Jamar Chase. Well, me and Kylan Hill were kind of talking about uh, opt-out the other day, and that kind of comes into play here because of uh, Jamar Chase opting out but there's almost I feel like there's almost this kind of amnesia that occurs whenever a player opts out whether he played part of the season or whether he didn't play the season at all because we see all these other prospects and then we we still recognize that this player is good but perhaps they fade into the background a little bit and then whoever stand out this year suddenly there becomes a tussle between uh, who's better uh, that being said Jamar Chase is my top wide receiver slightly ahead of Devontae Smith in my eyes but I, I think that he brings a lot to a team. And as one of the pro football focus analysts recently released something on this, it's, I mean, good hands, good skill set, everything's there. It's hard to find anything really in the tape to knock him for. And I think that he reaches a similar level of success as Justin Jefferson. I mean, those two guys, we call them the two-headed snake at LSU whenever LSU had that historical 2019 season. She covers LSU, the Tennessee Titans, quarterbacks. I don't know when she has time to sleep, to be honest with you, but she does a great job covering everything. <laughs> Chrissy Freud, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I hope you'll come back soon. In the meantime, though, I'm sure everybody that is familiar with your work is going to be reading all of your profiles. If they're not familiar with your work, how can they follow you and how can they read what you're doing? Well, my Twitter is obviously Chrissy underscore Freud. Uh, sometimes I do high school football uh, for the advocate. Obviously, I'm doing the quarterbacks on the draft network. Um, I do quarterbacks and women in sports content on pro football network. And then I cover LSU and the Tennessee Titans for USA Today. And we also have our around the SEC series. And I've uh, done players from Arkansas, Florida, Mississippi State on that. 
Make sure that you follow Chrissy on Twitter at Chrissy underscore Freud and read her work in the various places that it appears. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com. 